What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast here with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this weekend of Friday, August the 18th, Saturday, August the 19th, the year 2023. Lots to do and talk about here on this weekend program. Hope you guys had a good week as we inch closer and closer, three weeks away removed from tomorrow of the uh, kickoff of the 2023 NFL season with the kickoff game between the Detroit Lions and the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, So football, in terms of the regular season, still a handful of days away from now. Uh, Three weeks removed from this upcoming Sunday. It'll be week one. But um, uh, we have NFL, obviously, training camp and preseason, the sludge that it is from uh, mid-July through the month of August. And then, of course, you have some baseball notes I want to get to. Uh, and then an NBA item, and no, it's not breaking down the uh, in-season uh, tournament schedule, which no one in America could give a damn about, uh, unless you're the unless you're the one of few that in that thoroughly enjoy regular season NBA basketball, which uh, which is a slim to which is a slim pickings in and of itself. But that's not the item of uh, conversation. The item of conversation is James Harden versus Daryl Morey. That a civil war that is now damn near at a fever pitch within the uh, within the Philadelphia 76ers organization. I got plenty to say about that uh, as the program uh, as the program uh, continues on, which is just an absolute joke and another disgrace, but doesn't shock me uh, the least bit uh, in the slightest. Where we will begin. Uh, is with my Baltimore Orioles, and no, we will not, uh, and I could spend some time screaming about Angelos dragging his ass with the, uh, you know, not signing the lease because he thinks the city of Baltimore, uh, without having consulted the uh, Baltimore Ravens in terms of their ownership and their uh, leadership, by the way, he thinks that he essentially is entitled to, to uh, city-owned parking lots and city-owned property because he thinks in his uh, deranged mind that uh, Oriole Park at Camden Yards essentially is going to turn into Truist Park 2.0 with the battery and all that sort of foolishness. Hey, John, okay, Truist Park is not in downtown Atlanta. Atlanta is in Fulton County. The Braves Stadium is in Cobb County. Your stadium, it'd be like if your stadium was located, you know, about five minutes away from my house, that'd be one thing. If if your stadium was located in Carroll County, that would be one thing. But your your stadium is built in the heart of downtown Baltimore. You got a Jimmy John's right across the street. You have two bars, the Pickles Pub in Section 774, whatever it's called. Uh, right behind the le- right behind the left field portion of the ballpark, okay, you have you have uh, Jimmy's famous seafood seven miles from the stadium. Not to mention, if you want to go to Fells Point in Little Italy, you have five star high end restaurants up the Yin Yang. That's a hop, skip, and a jump away from Memorial Park Camden Yards. Okay, there is nothing wrong with the ballpark. 
the I mean, outside the fact that it needs to be re remodeled and shut and touched up here and there. But in terms of the actual location of the ballpark, there's nothing wrong with it. The only issue is is that the place needs to be remodeled and refurbished, and you need to have more staff people working within the stamp. Outside that, there's nothing wrong. So John Angelos, when the city already agreed to giving them six, in between 600 to $660 million to help improve this ballpark, which is a lot more than what the Milwaukee Brewers are getting from the uh, from the city of Milwaukee and that and that uh, and that count and that uh, community's local jurisdiction, I can tell you that much. So I could spend you know forty minutes screaming about that, but I will pass because uh, I got other things to scream about in this program, including Matt Scherzer. You know, and I did should have gotten gotten to this at the time when it happened, but it went over my head. Max Scherzer with his quotes on the Mets. I mean, what a joke he is and the, and the New York Yankees, which I'll get to in a moment. But we will open up this program with my Baltimore Orioles and how the West Coast trip has gone thus far as they are on the final, uh, as they are on the back leg of it with this uh, three-game weekend trip in Oakland. And then they will return back to the 4-1-0 coming up uh, this week. But let me tell you something right now with my Baltimore Orioles. Let me do the positive first, which was their series in Seattle, and then the negative with their series loss against the against the San Diego Padres. The positive is that outside of uh, outside of last Friday night, which they were completely completely abysmal. The starting pitching was was atrocious. Bats asleep at the wheel. It happens. The Mariners were hot. It stunk. It sucked, but you wash it down the toilet and then you move on. Saturday night, man, you want to. And Saturday night and Sunday, if you were fortunate enough to watch, if you were free enough to uh, and had good enough timing and had the luck of the draw with the timing in terms of watching those baseball games, you want to talk about two riveting, thrilling, enriching, intriguing edge of your seat playoff like baseball that was played in Seattle last Saturday and last Sunday. I mean, you couldn't ask for better baseball from two teams that are at the that are that are going to be the cream of the crop in the American League in this decade of the 2020s and beyond. Uh Saturday an absolute epic 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 pitcher's duel. Cole Irvin had put together his best start of the season. I said at the time I thought that Brandon Hyde made a mistake. I understand that he hadn't that he hadn't gone deep into a ball game in quite a while because of the fact that he's been up and down he's been up and down from the minor leagues on top of the fact that he's been ever since he returned back to the major league uh roster that he's been Heavily used in the bullpen, so he hasn't been. He hasn't had to go deep in the ball games for quite a while. I understand all that, but I thought Brandon Hyde got away with playing with fire and was very, very, very fortunate that uh, that he that it did come back to bite him in the ass, taking Cole Irvin out out the game when he had a pitch count in the low seventies, and he was and he was wheeling and dealing, mowing mowing and putting down the uh, Seattle Manor's lineup. And again, I understand that he hadn't gone deep in the game in a while, but five innings, seventy something pitches, man. You it got you get you in a in a series in in mid early mid August. You got to give me better than that, man. Especially when the bullpen was taxed to hell and did not have a great series coming off of their uh, previous. Uh, 
uh, series finale, series homestand finale against the Astros. In my opinion, you, you at least could have given him the six. Let him start. If you want to take him out in the six, Sonny, he comes into trouble. You know, it's fine. Does he have to go a complete game? No, but I don't know, man. You were playing with fire, and then the and I and I'll pull up uh, the reliever. Uh, who they brought in uh, once they took Irvin out the game. But I thought that they were playing with fire, and it, and almost right then and there, it could have cost Brandon Hyde when he came in and he brought in uh, Mike Bauman out of the bullpen, who's been, you know, he's got 3.59 ERA, isn't a terrible reliever, but certainly is not one of the Orioles, you know, uh, aces that they have in the back end of the bullpen, and he walked the batter, gave up a hit, and had uh, had runners uh, on runners uh, trying to stir up trouble in the uh, bottom of the sixth inning, and he was fortunate enough to get out of it. Uh, and then Webb and Senal Perez came in and did a sensational job. Yenier Cano made you sweat a little bit, but then, of course, Felix Bautista, two innings, one hit, struck out four. A sensational, sensational job by him. And what was a thrilling baseball game. Of course, you you know, you, Ryan Mountcastle with the go-ahead and provided the lone run in the game with an RBI single right up the middle. Just a sensational job by the Baltimore Orioles. And when you think that they can't top themselves, uh, that they that they can't top themselves in terms of their dramatic, uh, just their 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 drama and their uh, flair for the dramatic. Then Sunday's game comes around. I mean, holy hell, man! What a ball game on Sunday! Uh, it was nothing, nothing. I took a nap because I was dog tired. Didn't sleep well the Saturday night before. Uh, so I fell asleep on the game, nothing, nothing. I woke up, the score was tied 2-2 apiece. And boy, let me tell you something right now, man. Just a, a sensational, sensational game. And how about Cedric Mullins, man? I tell you guys this all the time. Adley Rutschman is the MVP of the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles win-loss record proves that the stats, the analytical, and then the traditional on-the-surface stats tell that story that when that ever since Adley Rutschman's been an Oriole since uh, since uh, May of 2022, this has been a completely different baseball team, and especially this year uh, with it being his first full season up in the major leagues from opening day up to now. But I, he's the MVP of this team. But Cedric Mullins is the heart and soul of his team, and if you think there isn't a difference, there's a difference because the way, to, because even how the Orioles play when Cedric Mullins is healthy and is on the roster, you can tell the difference. And just they, they, there's a certain edge. There's a certain edge. There's a there's a certain swagger. There's a certain attitude that this team plays when Cedric Mullins is healthy, playing well, and making a contribution in the outfield and at the plate. The, there, there's a difference, and you know, and and if you look at the, you know the Orioles uh, splits from month to month, you'll notice the months that they didn't have Cedric Mullins, where Cedric Mullins didn't play from beginning of the month to the end of the month are the months where the Orioles struggled a little bit. Now, they've had a winning month every single month of the season, thank God. Hopefully they continue to keep it on and have one here in August and have one in September and then 
play a month's worth of the games in October, and all of a sudden we're calling them World Series champions. But if you look at the Orioles month by month of win-loss record, you'll notice the months that the Orioles finish, you know, within five games above 500, where they barely squeak out, you know, a 500 record in a month. For instance, the month of June was the month that they that they uh, had Cedric Mullins out for a very significant amount of time. This seems different. And you saw it, you know, right then and there in the bottom of the ninth inning where he, I mean, that I thought that they, when the ball was hit up in the air, of course, my heart drops and I'm looking at Mullins. I'm like, please catch it. Please catch it. Does he have, just get, get, make, just let him have a chance to catch this ball. And then he jumps up, brings his, brings, takes his, his hand in his glove into the into the uh into the that little uh column there on the first row of the uh on the first row of the uh outfield wall and he and Cedric Mullins is only what I think he's about five eight five nine I think so he's not one of the more taller players in, on this team and one of the taller uh, outfielders in all of baseball. So in order for him to rob a home run, he's got to have some serious hops and have some serious momentum going up, up, up in the air trying to uh, trying to rob a home run. But he, the way that he stretched out his right arm to bring it, and I wasn't sure because of how Zoom and the camera angles uh, in the series in Seattle are some of the worst camera angles I've ever seen in my life. I mean, every single hard hit fly ball into the outfield, man, you swore was going into the upper deck. That's, I mean, just that's how zoomed out and how just, I don't know, off the off the wall uh, extra, for lack of a better word, the camera, the, uh, camera angles were up in Seattle. But so I see him go up with the glove. I see him go up with his glove to try to catch the ball. And I'm looking for any sort of sign, you know, to see if he actually caught it. And when I saw him, and when I saw his glove closed with him lying stomach first on his back, and I saw that he started to get up like he was getting excited, I was like, holy crap, he actually caught that. So it, one of the greatest, one of the great catches from an outfielder in terms of outfield assists, game-saving, game game-robbing home run. Uh, or excuse me, uh, you know, clutch home runs you'll ever going to see. And then lo and behold, in typical, you know, uh, Nick Vespi uh, fashion, or not Vespi, it wasn't uh, Vespi that gave up the home run. It was uh, it was Mike Bauman. In typical Bauman fa- fashion, what does he do? Next batter hits a home run that damn near breaks a window out there in right field to tie the game up. When we were an out away from just putting the absolute – chef's kiss on an unbelievable series and then here's uh bauman with a meatball right down the heart of the plate that gets hit basically you know that gets hit that gets hit tacoma washington and it ends up tying the game which for the moment took the in in a span of 30 seconds took all the life and all the excitement and all the clutch the 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 clutchness out of cedric mullins's heroic mind-boggling jaw-dropping play but then of course he comes he top of the 10th inning what does he do he hits a two-mark home run to right field to put the Orioles out in front five three and looking back in hindsight is that that could have been back-to-back home runs and the Mariners win the game so 
in essence, Cedric Mullins' home run did save the game because if that home run gets out and then the next batter comes right behind, you know, comes right behind, you know, the the following AB hits one into the, you know, and and demolishes that ball to right field, like the, uh, like uh, I forget his name. Let me uh, pull it up right quick. Like uh, Dominique Canzone, Calzone, whatever his name is, did, you know, game's over. So, in essence, he did, you know, save the game with that because then he comes up bottom of the next half or top of the next half inning, two-run home run, and the Orioles get the job done to win the game 5-3. I mean, just too riveting, too riveting and just enriching, enriching baseball game. If you're a Mariners fan, you hate those two games because of the fact that your, that your team had chances add in for, add, add in for freaking night them to to put the nail in the coffin and get the job done with runners in scoring position on Saturday night and on uh on Saturday night and on uh Sunday afternoon and your and your team was was a complete mess. Sunday afternoon you left five guys on base you were one for five runners in scoring position. Saturday night uh, in the one nothing victory in which you only were in which you were only able to muster four hits despite the fact Irvin Irvin not going deep into the ball game. The Mariners, as an offense, put together, excuse me, put together uh, and left nine runners on base and, and went 0 for 10. I mean, that is not, after they've been hitting the cover off the ball, and on Friday night they won the game 9-2. And if you look at their, uh, their offensive numbers from that night, they had 12 hits and as a team went 4 for 7 with runners in scoring position and only left 4. So your offense, which was on fire during the eight-game win streak that came to a screeching all Saturday night, and they showed up Friday night, and then after that, that was it. Got shut out Saturday night and then could not get it done with throwing some scoring position, albeit they they were able to score a, a, a clutch three runs in the game on Sunday. So if you're a Mariners fan, I mean, despite and with excellent pitching performances from Kirby and, uh, from Kirby and then, of course, from uh, their starting pitcher, uh, Brad Miller, on a Sunday afternoon, five two thirds, five hits, two runs, kept you in the game, and your offense, you know, left left you hanging high and dry, which is, which is just that's rough. And matter of fact, and I saw this stat, which was very very interesting. If you do the math from the six games that the Orioles and the Mariners played. Let's go back to the series that they played back in June uh, when the Orioles took that series uh, back in June. I want to say it was June, the week, weekend of Friday, June the 23rd. So the Mariners that night scored 13 runs, okay? They scored 13 runs that Friday. The 24th, they scored four. The 25th, they scored two. On last Friday night, they scored nine. Saturday they scored nothing. Uh, last Sunday they scored three. So you do the math to double check it, just to make sure my math is correct. So you have thirteen runs plus the four, plus the two, plus the nine, plus the three. They scored thirty-one runs in six games against the Orioles. How many runs did the Orioles score? The Orioles scored one run June the 23rd. They scored six runs the 24th. They scored uh, three runs the 25th. 
They scored two runs, not two runs, um, excuse me. They scored, uh, I don't want the 18th, I want the 11th. They scored two runs the uh, 11th. They scored one run on uh, one run on uh, Sunday, or excuse me, Saturday, and they scored five runs on the Saturday, Sunday, excuse me. If you're following at home, the Orioles got outscored in six games against the Seattle Mariners. The Orioles got outscored 31 to 18, yet won the season series four to two. The formula it explains why the Orioles and the sub-500, who are damn near 30 games over 500, and the Padres, who are a handful of games under 500, have a similar run differential. The reason why the Orioles don't win a lot of blowout games, they lose a lot of blowout games, but they, well, not a lot, but the the games that they lose are more, they, when it, blowouts, English shy, make it plain, make it simple. The Orioles lose more blowout games than they do win blowout games, and they win a lot of tight, close games. So if you notice, the two Friday games, Seattle scored a bunch of runs. They scored 10, they scored, uh, 10 runs last Friday, and they, scored, uh, and they scored 13 runs on, on June 23rd. The day, the day later, a little bit more nip and tuck. The Mariners scored only four runs the Saturday the 24th. Last Saturday, they scored zero. Sunday, they scored three. Sunday the 25th, they scored two. The Orioles' close wins in the series. They won by 2-6-4 with the Ryan McKenna walk-off from on June the 24th. Last Saturday, they won 1-0. Sunday, they won 5-3. Sunday, June the 25th, they won 3-2. Which they had scored thirty one eighteen and they won the season series against Seattle four games to two, which I thought was very, very interesting. The formula, the Orioles when they lose more often than that than not, they get blown out. When they win, they win a lot of close, gritty, low scoring, nip and tuck pitchers duel games. Which is a testament to how mentally tough the Orioles are. You don't love the fact, and I certainly don't love the fact when uh, you know when they get the brakes, uh, when they get the brakes blown off of them, like with Jack Flaherty and his horrendous performance uh, against the uh, Padres earlier this week, which I get to in a minute. But they win a lot of close games, which you like, and a lot of close, low-scoring games, which, as we all know, that are lifelong fans of baseball is a recipe for wins and a recipe for success. You win a lot of you win a lot of close, low-scoring games. Uh, and you're going to make the playoffs. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna find a way to advance to the next round. Case closed. Uh, end of story. So the positive, the Seattle trip. The negative was uh, the negative was their series against the San Diego Padres. Now listen, it's not the end of the world. Is it a big deal? No. I mean, and now, granted, the fact Grayson Rodriguez, who's who, ever since he came back from came back from the minor leagues, has looked better and better every single uh, time out there. His outing Tuesday night uh, against the Astros was wasted because the bullpen blew up in his face. And uh, of course, I was there in person, uh, which prior until this past Monday, which I had the privilege to see Grayson Rodriguez's 
best start as a major league starting pitcher when he went toe-to-toe with Garrett Cole on uh, July the 20 on July the 28th against the Yankees with Santander, Santander's walk-off uh, home run winning it one nothing but he was absolutely electrifying against a lineup and that that we saw the next two games is is a talent is a heavily top heavy talent filled uh, all star caliber lineup from top to bottom and Grace Rodriguez went toe to toe went seven innings or career best giving up three hits on one runs and six strikeouts I mean an absolutely sensational job by him he like I said. Better and better and better. And you want to talk about a pitcher, a young pitcher, mind you, that's got plenty of his career, uh, you know, plenty of his career in front of him, no doubt. But, man, this guy, Grayson, has stepped up. He has rise to the occasion. He's gotten his walks under. You know, the walk used to be his Achilles heel. He walked one batter on Monday night, the one lousy home on three. I mean, you just... It makes my heart happy, you know, seeing him come when he had an atrocious, atrocious first half of the season. The Orioles sent him back down, got himself together, and ever since he's been back, man, for the better, for the, for the better parts of it, he's been a completely different pitcher, and for the better, it just he's limited his walks, his strikeouts are still up, he's still, still throwing gas, he's not giving up as many hits, you know, he's able to. Uh, Find ways to get in and out of trouble and get out of damage and to limit the damage, especially with runners in scoring position. His command has gotten a whole hell of a lot better, especially with his fastball. So he's just been up uh, the second time. This is if you're like me, a diehard Orioles fan, man. This is this is what you want from one of your top uh, pitching prospects uh, coming up out of the minor leagues when the season began, man. He has just done. You can't sing his praises enough. All I gotta say is, man. I hope he keeps up. I hope he keeps going and has a, a great rest of the month of August, a great September, and makes a name for himself and introduces himself to the baseball world mass uh, coming up in October, come playoff time, man. Because he could be a very underrated wild card in terms of an I understand you don't want to lean upon a young rookie to be the ace of your rotation in October, but I tell you something right now. If you're, if our season and if a championship, whether it's a a the, the league pennant or a World Series is on the line right now, outside of Kyle Bradish, there's no guy I want right now in a must winner take all game five or a game seven right now than Grayson Rodriguez. At this point in time, right here, right now, he arguably is the best. The way he's been going relatively since the month of July, he has been cooking with gas. No pun intended, but he has just been absolutely sen-frickin'-sational. And he's and he and if you look at the guys that he's gone toe to toe with in terms of you know he's gone he's gone head to head with Framer Valdez going up against Garrett Cole pitching on the other side he went up against uh, who pitched for the let me uh, he went up against you Darvish who pitched a decent baseball game Monday night I and mean, he's going up against some solid high quality starting pitchers and he's matching them blow for blow batter by batter. 
you know, inning by inning, out for out. So gotta take the time out. I was I crushed him, you know, when he was when he was an automat when he was given, you know, when he was a, a, a walking batting practice machine, when he's going out there and looking like the second coming of Jim Palmer. I you know, I gotta be consistent, especially as as a as a guy that loves and roots for the players that wear the Orioles uniform to succeed and will sing their praises when they succeed and play well and help out my uh, team and help my team win games, I'm going to sing their praises. But in terms of the Padres series, that's where the praises ended there because the offense after, you know, Gunnar Henderson, you had O'Hearn's home run in the top of the second, and then you had Gunnar Anderson's bases clearing a double in the top of the third, and then the Orioles' offense essentially took the rest of the rest of the two nights off. I understand. I get it. It happens. Jack Flaherty was absolutely offensive. I mean, and again, it goes back to what I said after the trade deadline, you know, he got the chance to clinch, to lock up the number one record in the AFC. AFC. My mind's thinking football. You got the number one, you have a chance to lock up uh, the number one seed in the American League. And, you know, you ha- which means you have the least amount of games out of, you know, besides the fa- you have the same, you and the two seed have the same amount of wins necessary to get to the World Series, to win the World Series. But unlike the two seed, you have home field advantage, which means, you know, in case of you, those of you a little slow on the uptake, uh, spoiler alert, nobody. I'm just telling, I'm being Captain Obvious here. You went, you get home field as long as you're still alive in the playoffs, which means every single series you play, you will have the home, you will have the most home games up against your opponent. So, uh, ALDS, depending who, regardless of who you play, and if and the Orioles hold serve with the one seed, which means three out of the potential five five games in that series we play to Royal Park Camden Yards. Move on to the ALCS, which means four out of the potential seven games you play, including games six and seven, would be in your building. You're fortunate enough to advance to the World Series. Unless the unless the uh, Atlanta Braves get knocked out and the Dodgers don't finish with the same with the same record because they would hold head to head tiebreaker. As long as the Dodgers don't, as long as the Dodgers finish with a worse record than, than the Orioles and the Atlanta Braves get knocked out in the on the National League side of the bracket, hypothetically, the Orioles would get a home field advantage throughout the World Series. The same thing being the same with games one, two, and six and seven. Being at Oriole Park, at uh, at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, uh, but Flaherty, man, I say all that to say, the trade man outside of his first start as an Oriole in Toronto, uh, left to be desired. He wasn't great. He had troubles in the first two innings against Houston. I, I was there. I was in the building. Okay. But uh, he was not fantastic. He kept the Orioles in the game, but he was not great against the Astros. His first home start as an Oriole uh, last uh, last Wednesday, and then of course on Tuesday, man, he was. He, I tweeted out, "I'm not going to stay up till you know after midnight and sacrificing my and sacrificing much needed sleep to watch Grayson Rodriguez walk the ballpark. I, I'm so, I'm not doing it. I am not staying up risking sleep when I got to get up." Uh, at the ass crack of dawn, ass crack of dawn to go to work the next morning, and I see Jack Flaherty can't find the strike zone, and he's walking everybody in the in the city of San Diego in the Southern California uh, region of the state. I'm not doing it. Offense, eleven hits, eleven hits, only had three runs to show for unacceptable. I mean Walker, who I mean has one is one of the best starters in all of baseball, so you give him his props. But I mean Flaherty, man, got to be better than that. 
And I'm telling you something right now, man. The way that, the way where this team is right now, and the potential that they have to really take the one seed that they have, and the and just the the the, the blessing of how great of a season that they've had and run with it. It's not the time, man, to be to be shucking and jiving and bull jiving because Jack Flaherty can't find his truck. No, like if I say the same for Grayson, I say the same for him. You can't find a strike zone. You can't get outs. You walk the ballpark. You're giving up, you know, runs, hand over fist, ad infinitum. Get your ass off my rot. Get get your ass out of the rotation. Out of ro- either in the bullpen, minor league, or just off the roster in general. Because I, I don't, I I don't have the time. I don't have the patience. The, we have an opportunity here, and it's it's not it's not anything you guys haven't heard me say before. We have an opportunity to do something special here, and I'd be damned if I'm gonna have my season the potential to have us win a championship. I'd be damned if I'm gonna have it blow get blown up in smoke because Jack Flaherty, who isn't Bob Gibson, is not uh, Adam Wainwright, can't find a way to get outs against the albeit talented but sub 500 inconsistent San Diego Padre. I don't have the tolerance. Don't have the patience. Not doing it. Get out. And Flaherty didn't do that. And which means that 67 percent of his starts as the Baltimore Oriole have been subpar and underwhelming at best. To be nice about it, because just got to be better. Got to be better, man. And I throw and I give a. Give more so my vitriol to Elias, who traded for him. I mean, and again, it goes back to what I said at the time. I say it again: Can the Orioles, for once, assert their dominance? Tell the league they're not they're not bullshitting, and said, "Hey, we're the bottom Orioles. We got the number one record in the American League. What the, we're we're adding this guy to our rotation. We're adding this guy to our roster. What the hell are you guys going to do about it? This is this is our World Series to lose." We're the best, we're the cream of the crop in the American League, in the East, and in all of baseball. We're going to win. What are you going to do about it, and how are you going to stop us? Can, can they have that, 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 that borderline arrogant bravado in terms of the moves that they make with their front office? That's all I want. Just can, one time. And it, Verlander, Cease... They didn't get any of those guys. They didn't try to. They didn't, you know, try to uh, tempt the Padres with that. I don't know who the Padres said they weren't going to trade anybody, but they didn't t- try to tempt the Padres with that. Nothing. Who we get? Oh yeah, Jack Flaherty. And then I turn on. The, and then I turn on the game Tuesday night, and I see Jack Flaherty can't get anybody out. So it's just. It's frustrating. And then, and then, of course, God forbid, you know, if if things with him get worse and not better, then they put then it puts the team in a situation where they basically have to dance around him in the location to make sure that their season doesn't get doesn't blow up in smoke because Flaherty again can't record outs. So. Just ugh, left a bad taste in your mouth. And then on Wednesday, and then Wednesday's game comes along, and I got people in my Twitter mentions and in my comments section telling me, you know, basically making Dean Kramer out to be uh, Dave McNally, uh, 
out to be Dave McNally, Mike Cuellar, and uh, Jim Palmer all rolled up in a one. Guys, I, let me let me give you let me give you a simpic, a uh, simpic, a simple you know one one with with on in terms of evaluating a starting pitcher's performance. Okay, if the if the starting pitcher, okay. Has a given a one nothing lead, especially when he's on, when 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 he's pitching on the road. Because when you're on the road, the offense. When you're on the road, obviously the visiting team hits first. So you're the starting pitcher. You have an opportunity coming in off of your warm up session in the bullpen. You have an opportunity for your teammates one through nine in the lineup to set the table for you and possibly give you from either a one nothing cushion or as many as like a twelve run cushion. In the top of the first inning, so and the Orioles, granted, now the rest of it the, now they've been a, again sleep at the wheel for the majority of this road trip, but and relatively for the better part of the last few nights since really since their Tuesday night loss against uh, against Houston when the bullpen imploded, but the offense first things first in the first inning got on the board, so you're already given, you're given a one nothing lead. This is after Flaherty stuck up the joint the night before and after Grayson Rodriguez was sensational in game one on Monday. Kramer, who's pitched well recently in you know, the second half of the season. So he's no scrub. He's no bum. Let's get that clear and out the way. But you're giving a one nothing lead. He go he has a scoreless second. Orioles can't go, can't get anything across in the third inning. Okay, fine, but you have a one nothing lead. If you can hold it for the second inning, why can't you hold it for the third? Third inning, the Padres allowed because Kramer, like Flair the night before, couldn't find the strike zone. Was giving up hits at infinite like they were going out of style. Was getting into a lot of hitters counts and and and, le- and uh, leaving the uh, Padres hitters a lot of hittable pitches over the middle of late. Hung Song King, Kim Tatis Jr., Bogarts, Jake Cronenworth, teeing, teeing off on him. And he give, has a one nothing lead, allows three in the third inning. And I want to hear, well, he kept them in the game. Yeah, he did keep them in the game. But when the Orioles are the, are the team to score first, I could see if it was nothing, nothing. I could see, I, I, could, I could understand that. I can see if it was nothing, nothing, and and or they and or the Orioles were at home, and he pitched first before the Orioles had an opportunity to give him to give him a nice, uh, comfortable cushion, of a, of some semblance of a lead. But that wasn't the case. He was given a one nothing lead, and if you're a major league pitcher pitching on the number one, on a first place team and the AL East with the number one seed in the American League, I understand it's not a game of perfection. But damn it, Kramer has pitched well. He had heading into this game, he had an eleven and four record. He gets, I understand one one night he doesn't get the run support. Main reason why he has eleven wins and he has an ERA at, uh, teetering around four and a half. He gets hella runs of support. One night he doesn't get the run support. Not any fault of his own. But when you have a one nothing lead, if if it's the game's one one, I'll live with it. Game's two one. I'll live with it. Best case scenario, I want one nothing. But the guy had a three-run third inning. He had multiple opportunities to get out of the out of the inning. Yes, the umpire screwed him on some bull drive 
uh, should have been strike three, strike two, strike three calls on the on the uh, that the, and while he you know painting the black, but still uh, giving up a three run inning when you spotted one nothing, especially when he knows that the Orioles' offense has been rather anemic. You know, over the last you know couple of days, couple of games, I can't listen to Orioles fans and, and baseball fans in general flood my Twitter mentions and my comment section says, "What do you know? You know what the hell you're talking about." Uh, Kramer pitched well, quality start. He wins six innings. Guys, you Darvish had a quality start the other night going up against Grayson. Want me to read you his his uh, his stat line from Monday? He and he went he went an inning extra more than uh, than Dean Kramer, Kramer did. You want you Darvish's stat line? Seven innings, eight hits, four runs, a walk, six strikeouts, one home run. Just because he went seven innings, that doesn't mean he had a quality outing. That just means that. He had a low enough pitch count when he was giving up runs and hits left and right that uh, that it allowed him to have a little bit longer of a leash and kept and kept Bob Melvin from and prevented Bob Bob Melvin from running out to the bullpen and pulling his hind parts out the game. That's what that is. The only positive is that he went seven innings and he saved the Padre bullpen. Outside of that, there's nothing quality about eight hits, four runs, and a walk. Okay, and Darvish went an inning longer than Kramer did. There is nothing quality. I don't give a damn what nobody said. Well, by 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 the letter of the definition, he went he went past the fifth inning and made it through six, which makes it a quality start. Guys, five hits, two walks, three runs. When he had a one nothing one nothing lead to start the the bottom of the third inning, that's not a quality start. I'm sorry. It, 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 no disrespect, no offense to Dean Kramer. This really has nothing to do with him. It, it's the people that were saying, "What, Jack? What do you know? You're nuts. Why are you so harsh? You know, it's not a game of perfection. It's one game where you get substitute. Guys, pay the hell attention. It is not a quality start if he goes six innings and he gives up the lead in the process. Okay, and puts a team who who had who was up a run and now they're down two. I don't give a damn how deep he goes into a game. You can pitch eight. Back in the day, they went they went eight, eight innings. Starting pitchers went eight nine innings, and if they gave up, you know, uh, nine hits on seven runs, it wasn't considered a quality start. Jeez, people can say what they. It's them insulting me. It isn't what bothers me. It's them, you know, making it sound like that. You know, Dean Kramer, you know, put together some virtuoso performance. When I mean, again, and I said in my tweets the other night, if you want to go back and look at him, be your, be your guest. He got the L, winning pitcher, or losing pitcher. Dean Kramer got the L for for a reason. Not Shintar Fujinami. Who gave up? Who went two and two thirds? Gave up two runs. Gave up uh, two hits and two runs and a home run. Won him. Won Cino Perez, who was asleep at the wheel and allowed uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. to run around the bases like a little leaguer and, and allowed Tatis to steal home. No, the pitcher that got the L was Dean Kramer because he had the lead and he pff, let it pff, let it go right down the toilet. So again, yeah. If Dean Kramer goes six innings and gives up eight hits on five, on, gives up eight hits and five runs and walks, uh, and 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 walks three batters, 
but he goes deep enough into the game to save the Orioles bullpen, and the Orioles end up getting getting eliminated from the playoffs, and their season ends. But you know, and and they end and they and their season ends, and they get knocked out, eliminated. You're going to be you know waving the pom poms on Twitter to say, "Oh, give it up for Dean Kramer and give him a standing ovation," saying he had a quality start just because he he pitched into and passed the sixth inning. Don't be so caught up. Well, he went six innings, Carson. No, 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 no. I'd rather take Cole Irvin going five with a one-one-two hit shutout than Dean Kramer going six with five hits and three runs and two walks. That's just me. Anyway, on a more serious note, Wander Franco, man, if that guy ever, ever plays another baseball game again. I, I I would be floored, floored and 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 blown off my rocker, man, because he is, boy, I, I t- you you must be a special type of sick human being to start going to start going out with and start entertaining yourself in terms of the in terms of you know on a romantic level with uh, with underage girls and the fact that he even. That he even is is just, <sighs> I can't rep I can't, things like that. I just I cannot under any circumstances wrap my. Mind. I mean, and and even worse, he's dumb enough to to have to allow himself to get caught red-handed on social media with it too, and the, and you're hearing rumblings and hearing rumors that it's maybe more than just that one girl and is more. Uh, deeper and is worse than we than we may uh, initially have presumed, and this all started because someone caught him, you know, on social media on Instagram with a uh, you know with an underage girl, which was the to- which was the quiet talk of the town amongst uh, the baseball uh, part of Twitter uh, last weekend, and now you know as days have gone on, it's uh, you know rumored that it's that it's, you know it's a worse and worse more dire and grotesque and egregious situation. But, I mean, certain, excuse my language, certain shit like that, I, I can't, you, I, I, I can't, I can't explain it. I can't fathom it. I just, I, I do not, I don't get it, man. I don't get it. Because I tell you something right now. If I was, and this is after the Rays gave him the richest contract in franchise history. And then here he goes, you know, wants to throw his money and throw his career and essentially his life away because he's sitting up there fooling around with with underage women. I mean, with not even women, with underage girls as a 22-year-old grown-ass man. I mean, geez, Wander, you're 22 years old, got life by the you-know-what, making more money you can shake a stick at. The only women outside of your age range that you need to be hollering at are the are you know are women thirty two, forty two, and if you know you know and if you're and if it floats your boat enough to the point, fifty two year old women you know that that you know looking for 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 a young for a young blood literally a, you know a, a, a young blood in his early twenties. With some money that's made his name, that's made a little name for himself because he knows how to hit a baseball and knows how to field a baseball, and as and as a, a halfway decent infielder. Instead, what does he go ahead and do? And he throws his career away over just pervy, sick, predatorial behavior. I just, 
I'd be 500 years old and still would not be able to comprehend and understand the the logic and the and or the lack of just the un, just the thought process of it because that just oh my god I I do not get it man because I'd say because if I was if I had Franco's money man the last play I first of all let me get, just get one thing clear out the way if you're a dude and you reach that twenty year old threshold. You and I don't hear none of this bullshit about well, younger women is younger women that. If you in your fifties and the younger woman, if you fifty two years old and the women and the woman that you're interested in is in her thirties, that's a different story. If she's twenty seven, twenty eight years old and you in your mid late forties, that's something. That's something totally. Di- do I do I, do I have my opinions about it? Yes, but is but is there anything necessarily wrong with that? No, and that's one thing. But when you, as a man especially, are in you reach that twenty year old plus threshold, man, you don't need to be associating yourself with any girl, any female of any kind with a with with a one. As the first digit of her age, I, I don't care who she is. I don't care. No, if you twenty means you need to be messing with with girls, uh, twenty years old and above. Twenty one, same thing. Twenty two, same thing. The only my and this is just my opinion, my unsol, my unsolicited opinion. The the age that it come, that in my opinion becomes appropriate for men to start you know reaching back in terms of you know dating the younger in terms of dating younger females is when they is when they hit their thirties and even then it should be no younger than twenty one years old. Even then, but and that's just me, but. And how? And another thing too, how in the world does Franco pull this sick shit? This sick shit, and nobody in Tampa Bay organization hears anything about it. Nobody hears anything. And 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 don't and don't now is it Kevin Cash's job to babysit Wanda Franco, a grown ass man? This is pros not no, but not one of his teammates noticed the fact or you know asked them hey you know cuz again if you've ever played if you've ever played sports at any level you know that part of you know the the clubhouse slash locker room nature especially with guys is that they go around and they kind of you know they get to know each other this that and the third and they have a general idea of if their teammate is seeing anybody romantically you know their girlfriends. You know who they slept slept with. This, that, and the third. So you know who you know, and if they're married or engaged, who who they're married and engaged to, and things along that nature. So you mean to tell me that not one player within Tampa Bay Rays organization felt or saw or heard something that was a little sketchy with uh, with Franco? You know, with with uh, you know, and how he would. You know, and that he wouldn't necessarily run to the to the single thirty year olds that were either in his DMs or were hollering at him on road trips or anything. Like he, like any peculiar behavior that you would see essentially with a pedophile, the Rays didn't pick up on that. 
didn't pick up on any weird or strange abnormal tendencies or behaviors. Not 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 one not one player, not one teammate didn't pick up on that. Not one. I mean, they've been around each other every. They've been around and each other in some way, shape, or form every day since mid-February. It's it's August, so for the last six months, they've you know they've been around each other more than they have probably their own actual blood family, and yet nobody picks up on Franco's peculiar behavior. And either says something to the lead, says something to the team first, or it brings, or brings it to his attention. I, I don't know. I, I, the whole thing about that is just wrong and just feels, feels icky to be quite honest with you. Because they, I understand again, it's not their job to babysit. He's a grown ass man, but. You're gonna have a you're gonna have a hard time explaining to me that how he was that how it was kept uh, a secret and it wasn't like someone that he met you know on a previous road trip or someone that you know slid in, into his DMs you know 24 hours before the before the story broke on social media. nobody noticed or saw or said anything. I mean seriously. And again, if you're Franco, can you be dumber? If you don't want to associate yourself with 22-year-old chicks, again, my thing is when you're young like that, go older. Go, uh, again, if you're in your 40s and your 50s and you want to do the, you know, the bachelor and or sugar daddy thing and the woman that you're seeing is in her 30s and or late 20s, Totally different. Not my forte, but totally different. You, twenty-two years old. You a you barely a phone a full-grown legal adult your damn self, and you sit up here fooling around with with underage girls, not who aren't you know juniors and seniors in high school. We talking about ones that are barely eclipsing the high school to college threshold. Not to say that if he threw this one around with a seventeen year old it'd be any different, don't misinterpret. But I just I don't know. I saw that story, man, and my brain like melted to he- melted because I cannot wrap my head around I don't get it, man. I don't get it. Cause if it cause if it was me and I had the money and I had the, the stature that that Franco had, I had all of that, and I was that desperate, you know, to, to you know, for, to find a female female for a relationship, and I couldn't find no twenty one, twenty two, or twenty three year old that 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 you know that I was able to uh, to, uh, to to uh, to uh, what's the word um, uh, to uh, match up with. I'm pretty sure you can find some attractive single women in their thirties and their forties, you know. And it says, and before you hear the double, don't give me the double standard nonsense because Franco's a grown ass man. It's totally different a twenty two year old, you know, dating a woman who's you know thirty two or thirty seven or forty two than it is the other way around. You know it, and I know it, so don't even go there with me. But the idea that he goes out there and just 
I don't I don't get it. Major League Baseball said they're on that they they they're going an investigate ongoing investigation. He is placed on the uh, you know on the inactive list, so he's away from the team and not and not allowed to play any games until the verdict gets reached with uh, with uh, his suspension. But I mean, just wow. I mean, just wow. Highest paid player in the history of the Tampa Bay Rays franchise, which ain't saying much, but highest paid player in the history of the of the Rays franchise, and you have all this going for you right now. The Rays in the season that they've had, and you throw it away because you're hell bent on being a damn pedophile and uh, and 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 a predator. I mean, seriously. Wow. I mean, when 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 you look at it, man, it really, really does leave you freaking speechless. It does, cause I, cause I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. I and I sure as hell can't fathom it. I can't. But anyway, we we shall move on. Uh, in terms of uh, what the, uh, in terms of some other baseball notes to get to, um, uh, the Braves and the Dodgers, the cream of the crop, by far the cream of the crop in the, uh, in the National League. I mean, the Dodgers, one of the hottest teams in baseball. I mean, when they lose a game, wake me up and pinch me because they've just been on a complete and utter tear. They currently are seventy-four and forty-six. They are only, uh, what, I believe they're only three games, yep, they're three games back of the Braves for the best record in the National League. They are running away and hiding with the NL West, which, was, which wasn't news a long time ago. They've, you know, they've kind of struggled a little bit, and the Giants and the pot, and excuse me, the Giants and the Diamondbacks had a little taste of first place in the West, and really ever since the month of July rolled around, uh, late June, early July rolled around. The Dodgers have ran away and hid with the West. They have won. They are on an 11-game winning streak. They have a run differential of plus 47. They are 41-20 and 20 at home this season. They currently tie the Atlanta Braves for the best home record in all of, uh, in all of Major League Baseball. They are up there with the Rays in terms of in the win column as the best with the best re- home records in all of baseball I said Ray with the Braves best record in the National League Rays they're up there with them in terms of with the wins the Rays have played one more uh, home game than the uh, dot or excuse me no uh, do I have that 22 compared to no they've played one they've played a uh, one more home game the Rays that is than the Dodgers so the Rays are at 40 and 22 at Tropicana Field the Dodgers are uh 41 and 20 but uh the, they just go out there so when you have experience you have champions on the, on the team on the roster man you find and you saw it with the Astros now the Astros have kind of They've been, you know, truck trucking along slowly but surely. They've won. They've won seven out of the last ten. They kind of cooled off a little bit for for a brief moment, but they're still up there and are still in the thick of it of the AL West. They're only two and a half games behind 
of the uh, Rangers who have won seven out of ten in their own right as well. In baseball, man, when you win championships and you've played in championship things and you and you have players that are uh, and you have players that are uh, that are uh, proven and have what it takes either with you, either with the team itself, uh, you know, Mookie Betts, uh, J.D. Martinez, players like that, or from other teams in the in uh, Freddie Freeman's case with the uh, aforementioned Atlanta Braves. You find ways to win, and you may not, and you may not always have your best season in terms of win loss record from start to finish. And as you saw in the fir- in the beginning of the season, the uh, Dodgers certainly struggled out of the gate. But man, when the summer heated, when the summer uh, weather started creeping into uh, Chavez Ravine, the wet the the uh, play for the Dodgers heated heat up heated up as well. Because they have just been a a completely better and consistent uh, and championship level uh, baseball team for the better part of the last month plus. They the starting pitching, you know, Clayton Kershaw give him tremendous credit. You know, he's the elder statesman of that rotation. They're going to get Walker Bueller back soon. That's been a rotation that has been decimated to hell and back throughout the majority of the season with injuries in that rotation. And here it is, and here it is Mr. Dodger himself, circa 2009. Clayton Kershaw has found a way to uh, keep uh, to keep uh, the Dodgers' head above water in terms of giving them some solid efforts with their rotation. Matter of fact, let's look at how Clayton Kershaw has pitched for the Dodgers uh, this season since I have it right here. He leads the team in wins with 11 wins on the season. Right now you look at Clayton Kershaw, he is 11 and 4 with a 2.48 ERA. Uh Julio Rios has also carried uh has carried his fair shit. Now his ERA is not what it has been compared compared into seasons past when he was Cy, when he was a Cy Young uh finalist, a Cy Young candidate, but a 10 and 6 10 and 6 record is still uh, nothing to sneeze at, but Kershaw head and shoulders by far is the best starting starting pitcher within that uh, uh, rotation that's been put together by spit, grit, and a whole lot of duct tape. So you give uh, Clayton Kershaw his flowers, which, you know, he's been in the league since 2009. That's what? Uh, that's 14 years, I believe, 15 seasons, and he, you know, Finds a way to get it. One of the best uh, regular season, one of the best regular season uh, starting pitchers of our era, and certainly in Dodgers history, have, finds another way and has found another way to uh, help his Dodgers uh, throughout the uh, throughout this uh, baseball season, helping them as they are in first place and, and up, and all things looking up and running away and hiding with the National League. Western uh, Division uh, Championship. Uh, and then, of course, the Atlanta Braves, who just beat the living piss out of the New York Yankees this week. And I get to the Yankees in a minute. But, I mean, that is an offense that just – they lead the – they don't give up any runs in, a, in the – they don't give up any runs in the first inning, and they do heavy damage in the first inning, which is uh, which is one of many recipes for success in wins in Major League Baseball nowadays. But, I mean, a sensational job by the Atlanta Braves offense, and just that's just a great job that they've done. Starting rotation has picked it up. 
quite a bit as well, you know, the, and, and it's funny because they've struggled, you know, they've struggled here and there in the second half of the season where their bats have been, you know, so, so very good. And when their bats are on, and when their bats are on, their pitching, whether it's the starting rotation or their bullpen has left them out, has left them out, uh, has left them hanging high and dry. Uh, but their offense, man, who deserves a ton of credit for keeping this team above water, and it's certainly one of the main reasons why this team is sitting pretty atop of the National League. So, and if you ask me right now, you know, ask me, Giant, who do you, who, in your opinion, is the is the team to beat in the uh, is the team to beat in the National League? I'd have to say, it's a good question. I would have to say, um, I'd have to say the Atlanta Braves, because I like this because I like their pitching more, like their bullpen more. I don't, you know, the Dodgers, the Dodgers bullpen and their starting pitching outside of Kershaw worries me. Compared to the Atlanta Braves, who are starting to put the puzzle pieces back together with and with injury issues that they've had uh, throughout the season as well, and Kenley Jansen, the ex-Dodger, has done a very good job for the bag in the bullpen. I would say I'd take the Dodgers, and I tell you something right now. And we were robbed a bit, robbed of it last year because the uh, Phillies and the San Diego Padres had other ideas last October. I tell you something right now. You will get an all-time classic seven-game series between the Dodgers and the Braves in the NLCS this this uh, this October. They are they are both head and shoulders better. They are both head and shoulders above, you know, Milwaukee, uh, the Cubs, the Phillies, the Marlins. The uh, you pick whatever national whatever National League uh, uh, potential playoff team or current standing playoff team you want you pick whatever those two are head and shoulders the best ones and that is going to be a a a playoff series for the ages if we're fortunate enough to get it in two months time between the Dodgers and the Braves because those two teams their they their lineup the Braves lineup is a little bit more complete than the Dodgers than the, than the Dodgers lineup is, but still Betts J D Martinez and the ex Brave uh, Freddie Freeman certainly are nothing to sneeze at. Max Muncie also a great power bat drives in runs, uh, drives in runs very good um, uh, slugger. Uh, amidst the uh, heart of that, uh, amidst the heart of the LA order, so both of those teams can mash. But I think as of right now, I'd give the slight edge to the Atlanta Braves. But that's going to be one hell of an NLCS if we're so fortunate enough to get it. And they're by far the cream of the crop of the uh, of the National League. And the two be- and I and arguably you could say that the two favorites to win the World Series. National League is weak. Or is is weak, and the American League is a gauntlet. But I I like them in in a seven game series against my Orioles. I I like objectively speaking, I like both teams over in terms of who I think is the better team in a seven best of seven series. I like the I like the Dodgers and the Braves, you know, better than the Orioles, better than the Astros, and, and better than the Texas Rangers. 
So I think the winner of, if they're fortunate enough to match up in the NLCS, being the one and two seeds, uh, whichever way you slice it, because they're because they both are running away and hiding with their respective divisions. That's going to be a, a championship series for the ages. And I think the winner of the of that NLCS is going to end up winning the World Series. Not to say that the Astros or the Orioles or the Rangers can't win it, because as we know in playoff baseball, anything can happen. But those would be my two uh, respective favorites for not just winning the National League, but winning uh, the Major League Baseball 2023 championship. Now, the team that the Braves had a hell of a time beating the piss out of in the New York Yankees, they are just an utter, an utter corrupt, disgusting embarrassment of a baseball team. And it's not anything that's, that's anything new underneath the sun, but it's bad, man. And I don't know what it's going to take for how Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman get off the... I mean, this team, it is August the 18th. It is August the 18th. The New York Yankees are now 60 and 62. They are two games under 500. They are in last place in the AL East by four games of the 64 and 58 fourth place Boston Red Sox. The Yankees have lost eight out of their last 10 games. They are 14 and a half back from our Baltimore Warriors for first place in the East. They are currently and falling fast, further and further behind in the wild card standings. They are now six and a half back of the tied for the sixth seed uh, third wild card uh, holders in the Seattle Manors and the Toronto Blue Jays. Who who are even in the winning percentage column at 5:45? They have to track behind the Angels, who swept them and who swept them back in uh, back in the month of July. They are behind the Toronto Blue Jays. They are behind the aforementioned Red Sox that have done nothing but beat the living crap out of the Yankees for the better part of the last three plus seasons. The Yankees stink. The Yankees are the worst. The Yankees are an embarrassment. How Steinbrenner is more interested in making money with his with putting the games on 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 the freaking Amazon Prime and the Apple TV Plus and the Peacock and the nonsense and the expensive field level seats. He is more interested in using the Yankees as a as a as a chuck wagon for him to line his pockets and to make his money hand over fist. And, and in the process, ruining and tarnishing the legacy of his great father, the greatest owner in the history of professional sports, and the great George Steinbrenner, than he is of continuing his father's great legacy and producing a, cha- a real championship product in the New York Yankees being taken seriously as a big-time baseball team. And congratulations, Hal Steinbrenner, with every loss, with every embarrassing Aaron Boone press conference, with every embarrassing, you know, stat with your starting rotation outside of Garrett Cole, with every blown lead from your god-awful bullpen, blowing a five-run lead to the Miami Marlins on Sunday afternoon, to to Domingo Herman and throwing and throwing uh, and throwing uh, hissy fits, uh, drunk off the henny. 
in the locker room in in, in the locker room because he's because he's a domestic abuser and an alcoholic and an all all in all horrendous teammate and not a and 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 unless he's facing the Triple A Oakland A's, uh, not a mid league pitcher worth a damn to speak of, and then you have. Uh, Luis Severino, who is a who's a walking batting, the team's a mess, a mess. And rather than the Yankees, like what the Mets did, who has who in some form or fashion had some had an ounce of self respect and pride left that said, "Damn it!" And they play in a weaker, and they play in a weaker, more competitive in terms of the wild in terms of the uh, the potential wild card teams, but a weaker. National League, a weaker league, and they waved the white flag and saying, "We're not making the playoffs. Season's over. This season's lost. We're we're doing what we can to blow up the team, sell off as many pieces as we can. We'll call up as we'll call up, you know, whoever we have to call up. They see what we have with our in our minor league system, and then we'll take it and then we'll move from there. And we'll see in 2024, and then we'll see where this team lies going forward. Instead, the Yankees, because they're so arrogant." They're so cocky. They're so condescending. They're so stupid. In terms of the in terms of the men that run that team, that's Cashman, that's Steinbrenner, and that's to a lesser degree Aaron Boone. They say, you know what? We'll stick with the same scrubs, the same bums that are running this, that are running this clown show, that are running the circus, that are running this shit show of a, of a, of a once was proud and prideful organization and they'll say you know what Anthony Rizzo he's been concussed since May we'll have our head up our ass we don't know which way is up we'll keep on trotting him out there every day and we'll wonder why he can't hit a fastball or a breaking ball to save his life we'll continue to throw out Josh Donaldson and we'll basically get lucked out because of the fact that he's hurt his damn self because we all know if Josh Donaldson wasn't hurt he'd be batting cleanup every single night for the Yankees and every and everybody and their mother that's paid attention to the Yankees worth something this season knows knows that and and agrees and agrees with my sentiment wholeheartedly. Stanton can't move. He he can't hit. Let he can't move. Let alone the fact that he can't hit. He's a, been a complete waste of a contract. The Yankees didn't need him. They wasted, wasted money and flushed the money down into what money they could have had and could have used to spend on Bryce Harper. Could have used the money to bring Mike Trout. Could have used money to bring Juan Soto. Could have used some money and would have made would have made my life a living hell. And that's plucking off Manny Machado from my Orioles. And they could have made him a third baseman or a shortstop and a Yankee for life. Instead, they waste money. That's what they did. They waste money, waste of a trade, waste of a contract, and they got hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, and run them up because they won one lousy MVP on the god-awful, unwatchable Miami Marlins at the time, what, five, six-something years ago? They trade for Stanton. He's been a complete abomination and a disgrace of a Yankee since. He's feast of famine. He's the, he's either he's either he, he's either the best hitter in the sport and a handful of at bets, or looks like a right-handed Chris Davis. The rest of his other at bets. It's they might as well rename the team the New York Aaron Judges because when Aaron Judge doesn't produce, he doesn't drive in runs, he doesn't hit sixty-two home runs to keep that mediocre of a team last year afloat, you know, to get them into the playoffs. They do absolutely nothing. 
I, I got IKF playing the outfield. They don't have a left fielder. They don't have any outfielders that, that can catch worth worth a crap. They they trade for Joey Gallo. They give Aaron Hicks a big time contract. They take forever to to put uh, Gary Sanchez out the pasture. Gio or didn't work out. They take forever to get rid of they to get rid of the the imploding off the field and on the field. Uh, Arodas Chapman that literally cost them a pennant to the Astros in 2019, and he's or and he's still on the roster in 2020 and 2021 and 2022. Walking the ballpark wild as hell and one and and one in every three batters he faces he gives up a he gives up a home run that goes nine miles. Go ask Altuve. Go ask. The Tampa Bay Rays, they hit the home run off of him in game five of the ALDS uh, back uh, back in the COVID year in Petco Park in San Diego. A complete mess, this team. And rather than biting a bullet, swallowing their pride, blowing it up at the trade deadline, which they rightfully and honestly should, you want Rizzo, you can take him. You want IKF, you can take him. You want Donaldson, I know he's hurt. Either cut him or or see if you can someone can get him for pennies on a dime. Instead, what do they do? They keep everybody. They bring in oh yeah, this the Middleton middle reliever from the Chicago from the Chicago White Sox, and they don't call up any of the young prospects to at least see what they have in front of them. Hey, this is what. Why wait till till February March twenty twenty four? Get them up now. Get them up now, going up against going up against major league level talent, going up against teams that are playing for something. You know, team. You know, I mean, against the against the big bad Atlanta Braves, who are the best team in the National League. Let's see what they have against the Boston Red Sox. See if they have a little feel of what this rivalry uh, entails, what it means to means for the franchise. Let's see them go up. Let's see them go up against Tampa Bay Rays, the Houston Astros, who we never beat. The Arizona Diamondbacks, the Toronto, any of these players, or excuse me, any of these teams. Instead, I got Aaron Boone sitting up and telling me, you know, this. I swear to God, if I hear, if I hear Boone, if I hear Judge, if I hear any player, give me the right. It's right in front of his line one more time. I, 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 I am going to go crazy. I cannot listen. And the thing is, is that, and I love the fact, love the fact. That the Yankees essentially are having their worst season of my lifetime. You look at my lifetime from 2002 prior to this 23 season, the Yankees have finished above 500 every single season and have made the playoffs roughly 90% of the time of my life. I can count on one hand how many times there's been an October of playoff baseball and the Yankees have not been in it. And they've been in it every single year for the last five years. From 17 to 22. And outside of the 16 season and the 14 season, they've been in the playoffs. 15, they were, 2015, they were in it. 2013, they were in it. I believe. I think so. No, I'll look that up. 2013. But 2012, they were in it. They made it to the ALCS. 11, they were in it. 2010, they were in it as the defending champs. 2009, they won the whole thing. 
2008, 2007, they didn't make it. 2006, they made it. 2005, they made it. Four, they made it. Three, they made it. Two, three, they made it to the World Series. Two, they made it. 2013, didn't make it. So, two, so think about this for a second. 2007, 8, 13, 14, and 16. 2007, 8, 13, 14, 16. That's five times in my 18, 19 years of watching baseball, being a baseball fan, in which the New York Yankees did not play in the playoffs. I mean, so I so don't get it twisted. I am not pissed off at the fact the Yankees are in last place. I am pissed off at the fact that the people that run this organization are so arrogant and are so cocky enough to think that that the oh look at me, twenty seven, you know, World Series champions, highest payroll, we're the Yankees, you're not. We got the pinstripes, the hat, Jay Z, I made the Yankee hat more famous than a Yankee can and this, that and the third. And it's like, you know, not and it's like we can just ride on the cash of the New York Yankees and I think that we can still get talked about, get praised about, and get the 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 ravishing media attention because we're the New York Yankees and you are not. And I go to Orioles games and I get it here, the let's go Yankees crap, and it's just, it's enough. It's the same thing with the Cowboys. You know, for, for a franchise that carries themselves and thinks of themselves as the cream of the crop in all of sports, yet they haven't won a damn thing and and and, and, and for the Yankees' case, a decade plus. For the Cowboys' case, decades, plural, plus. And it's like, guys, you're, if Yankees, you're not, you're not stuck in the. It's not the '40s. It's not the '50s. It's not the early '60s. It's not. It's not the '70s or the '90s or the 2000s. Okay, no one's scared of you. No one is in fear of you. You're not. You're not what you think you are. You're a, you're a bumbling, embarrassing team and a bumbling, embarrassing organization that is right now among the laughing stocks of the, of the league. Just because you're not the Oakland A's or the Washington Nationals or the uh, or or the or the Kansas City Royals, that doesn't mean that that you guys aren't embarrassing yourselves with, to the rest of the league because you are. Because you're not winning. You're wasting people's time. You're wasting people's money. You're putting up a substandard product, and you and you're selling it and expecting everybody to bend over and kiss the Yankee ring. Well, that's not happening. The fans aren't going for it, and 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 the and the baseball fans and the baseball media that that know a little something something ain't going for it either. So enough. And it's like how how Steinbrenner just doesn't give a damn. How Steinbrenner doesn't give a damn. I got Cashman, you know, blowing smoke up people's asses with the with the BS lies that this is a championship caliber roster, this, that, and the third. Oh, enough. And then the cherry on top, I got Aaron Boone, who's as lost, as clueless as the day is long. You know, with the harebrained asinine comments he makes in the postgame. And I don't want to hear none of this garbage, you know, from the Aaron Boone apologist. Well, you know, it's Cashman's team. He puts together the lineup. He manages the ball minutes center. Okay, but it isn't Cashman's responsibility to make sure that his team is prepared to play every day, 
that his team is on fire, that his team is disciplined, that his team's heart and head is in the game, that his team hustles, that his team knows how to run the damn bases properly, that his team plays with a with with some pep in their step, that plays with a sense of urgency, that plays with a pissed off attitude that we will not accept losing. We're better than this. We're gonna go out there and we're gonna prove to everybody and their mother that we're better than what we're playing right. We don't get that from him. We get it's in, it's all right in front of us. There's plenty of the season left. What are you going to do? Ho-hum, woe is me. Give credit to this, that, and the third. We had great at-bats even though we struck out 18 times. Uh, the roof was open. Enough. It's it's the same gobbledygook of, 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 of stupid, hair-brained, psychobabble bullshit that we've been hearing from Aaron Boone ever since he set foot as Yankee manager. I mean, it's just... And then, and then he's just up there in the press conference tonight and when, when they got their asses kicked by the Red Sox and say, among other things, well, it was an interesting time for the Yankees to learn right before the game that the Red Sox pinch com wasn't working. Again, stuff like that is why Aaron Boone cannot be let off the hook for this. I understand the owner, Hal, doesn't give a damn. I understand that Cashman's past his expiration date and hasn't put together a decent... A uh, trade that resulted in, an, in, an, in a Yankee championship since they traded for A-Rod. I understand that the team also hasn't been able to develop any homegrown talent outside of Aaron Judge worth the damn in quite a long time. Especially homegrown starting pitching talent. The great pitching talent the Yankees have had over the last 20 years plus, they have gotten from other teams. Whether it be Musena, whether it be Clemens, whether it be... In this case, in this certain scenario, Garrett Cole, whether it be CC Sabathia, you name the pitcher. And yet Boone goes out there, the roof was open, we'll show footage of the 04 Yankee collapse, you know, and the playoffs last year. I understand that, we sh- that Dean Kramer and the Orioles uh, pitching staff, their bullpen shook us out 18 times, still put together great at-bats, even though we got blown out and embarrassed on national television. It's like, who does Boone think we are, a bunch of idiots? We, we see this team every single night. You're not good. Who, 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 who are you trying to fool? You're not fooling the Yankee fan. You're not fooling the base. You're not fooling anybody. If you pay attention and watch the Yankees on a consistent basis and follow the team, team's not good. They have no dogs. They have no champions, with the Yankees at least. No dogs, no fighters, no, 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 no scrappy, edgy players that go out and dive, dive to make that, to make that difficult catch that, 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 pushed the, that pushed the envelope trying to take the extra base when they run the base. They don't have that. The Orioles have that. The Astros have that. The Rangers have that. The Mariners have that. The Braves have that. The Dodgers have that. The Phillies have that. The Yankees don't have that. They have a. They have Aaron Judge and either a bunch of washed up players that haven't been good in five plus years, or a bunch of mid journeymen that are being paid like the top 10, top 5 players in all of baseball. A bunch of prima donnas that think they shit don't stink, and they're just not good at their job as they think they are. 
Here these Yankees could have had either Freddie Freeman or Matt Olson, and who's at first base? Anthony Rizzo. Who I get it, I I bet is has been concussed, but I mean, damn. Those are two left-handed, two supreme left-handed bats that are that play first base, that are among the cream of the crop of their position, and the Yankees are are fiddling their fingers with Rizzo. Here it is, they could have signed Manny Machado years ago. Who they have playing at third base? A washed up, old as hell, can't move Josh Donaldson. They could be in the ranks to scoop up Shohei Otani. Reason why they can't? Because Giancarlo stands the, uh, is occupying the DH spot. And because Aaron Judge is now into his 30s and... He's also had some injury history that was that was amplified by that toe injury when he ran into the wall at Dodger Stadium back in early June, which means he's going to be getting more more reps and more uh, starts at DH. Now, it's not just the fact that the Yankees have the two hundred and three hundred something million dollar payroll. Look at who they're spending money on. And it's not like that they're it's that they're going out there that they're the San Diego Padres and their spend and their payroll is 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 being spent on World Series champions from other teams and All Stars and Silver Sluggers and MVP candidates to the likes of Machado to the likes of Tatis to the likes of Xander Bogarts to the likes of Juan Soto. No, it's Aaron Judge and then it's a bunch and then it's a bunch of players that are either past their prime. Or journeymen that shouldn't be being paid the money that they're being paid because they're not that good at their jobs. And it's like the Yankees are that are that gif of that dog sitting in the burning house that looks at their cup of coffee that smiles, looks down at their cup of coffee and says, Yeah, everything's fine. Yeah, we're under five hundred, we're we're still in this. We're still in the thick of it. There's still plenty of season left. It's mid. It's mid August. You have one full month left of the season. You got a gazillion teams to leapfrog, just to get yourself even back in, into the conversation of winning the wild card. And you've lost some wild card tiebreakers among the teams that you have to jump. I.e., the Angels weren't making the playoffs anyway, but still, the I.e. the Angels, I.e. the Boston Red Sox. Sorry, but yet season's right in front of us. Still got plenty of time left. Meanwhile, the season's just tick, 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 ticking away. With every loss, with every excuse, with every blown lead, with every embarrassment. Everything with, that's wrong with the New York Yankees rises and falls on leadership. Case closed. And if you want to look at the reasons why the Yankees are, are where they are, Look at the top in ownership and Hal Steinbrenner and work your way all the way down to Aaron Boone and go from there. The Yankees are an embarrassment. Congratulations. You guys are now the Dallas Cowboys of Major League Baseball. And then when you think, you know, it can't get any more embarrassing for New York, and shame on me for not addressing this and episodes previous but how about Max Scherzer he went up when he got traded and he uh had his little introductory you know pressers and was beating the media reflecting on his time in New York he said quote 
That's what stinks about this whole situation. Steve Cohen really put himself out there and went after building a winning team. Everyone thought we were on a team that was going to go deep into the postseason. And then him, you know, saying, well, I got to go up and meet with the front office about where we stand as an organization, this, that, and the third, you know, in terms of uh, where my uh, fate stood. And this is obviously right before he was traded to, uh, right before he was traded to the Rangers. Max Scherzer, man, has a lot of balls. Scherzer, who's a mercenary, who is about Max Scherzer and not about the team, his teammates, he, he, he is a... All he cares about is himself, his career, his tallies, his bottom line, and that is it. It is me, my, he is he is the Beyonce song, me, myself, and I personified. He don't care. It's Max Scherzer, and then whoever else gets hurt or has to suffer in the process, be damned. I got to listen to Max Scherzer now, you know, ripping the Mets. You know, I got to meet with the Mets and see where we stand, and this is what stinks, and and I had to get out of here because the Mets, you know, the Cohen build a, build a winning team, and we and the team basically didn't get it done. Hey, Max, you were the you were the reason at fault for why the Mets were so bad. You were the reason why the Mets were in, are in this predicament to begin with. You're the reason why you're on a Texas Rangers pitching for the Met pitching for the you are in Texas pitching for the Rangers and not still in New York pitching for the Mets. You imploded in the back half of last year against against the Braves. You spit up the joint and got booed off the mound. Off the mound last October in the playoff series against the San Diego Padres, and you were disgraceful, unwatchable, and a pathetic, embarrassing disgrace on the mound as a New York Metropolitan this season prior to you getting traded. And I got to listen to Max Scherzer now, Mr. Detroit Tiger, Mr. Washington National, Mr. L.A. Dodger. Get on, get up, get on his soapbox and pontificate about the fact. Well, screw the Mets and shame on the Mets. You know they put together a plan for them to win. It blew up. It didn't work. I failed. I, you know, and I needed to get the hell out of here and, and run from this from a problem that he helped create to go pitch for the Texas Rangers. I mean, seriously. But again. At least give the Mets credit. Not sure as we give the Mets credit. They were smart enough to see the writing on the wall. Yankees, they're prideful, arrogant uh, selves. They are stuck in a wheel of, in the hamster wheel of insanity, doing the same damn thing over and over again, expecting different results. I mean, it. it, it oh my. And it's not that they're bad, that they're just bad. You can just say, it's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. No, they're bad and they're, and they, and they are so dumb and so stupid in thinking that they aren't bad, that they aren't, that they're good and that there's still time for them to snap out of this season long funk that they've been in. They've been a totally different baseball team, essentially for the better part of the last year. They were flying high, and the MLB on their tw- on their social media pages put out that tweet on pace with 120 wins, and this team's been dating back to what last August, I believe. They've been teetering at 500, if not worse, at this point ever since. Yankee players in a dugout laughing. They're they're no energy, just nothing. That's not on Cashman. That's on that's Boone's job. 
Because, and also, they may tell me it doesn't matter because it does. Because if that was the case, franchises would save, you know, their, their they'd save, you know, seven, they'd save their six figures to five million dollars a year, you know, at the, you know, without having to hire a manager. They'd make one of their bench players a manager, or make a pitching coach or the hitting coach the manager. Because if it didn't matter, they'd they'd wipe out the position altogether. If it if it was that useless, where they could wipe it out, not not you know not have to suffer any negative consequences in terms of the on field product, and they get to save some money while doing it, they'd get rid of the manager position tonight. So I only hear this. Well, it's Cash. No, it's Cashman and it's Boone. Cashman put together this garbage roster, and then Boone allows the garbage roster to run amok. You know, sometimes sometimes the best job a manager can do is to take a substandard or a bad roster and coach them up and and motivate the team to win more games than on paper than they should. I mean, that's that's what a manager's job is. Even even when they're not given great rosters, if a roster on paper is meant to win you know, 72 games, and the manager finds a way to squeeze 82, 83 wins, 85 wins out of them, that's called good managing. If a team is only meant to win 85, 86 wins and end up winning, you know, 97 and 98, that's good managing. But when they're given a roster that's meant to win, you know, 80, I say, you know, 83-ish game, 83 to 87-ish games, and the and the Yankees probably going to win at this rate about, they'd be, you know, they'd probably finish with about 75 wins. They'd probably finish 75 and 87, somewhere along those lines. That's on the manager. I understand Cashman passes expiration, but it's on, but... Boone doesn't help his cause, and he gets out in front of a microphone after these games and makes an ass out of himself with every asinine, hair-brained, you know, excuse-making answer he gives to the media. Anyway, him and then Scherzer, you know, a lot of nerve. With the diva comments about Verland, a lot of nerve. A lot of nerve. You were an awful New York Met. Awful. And I gotta listen to to Scherzer's and hear him sound his yap, sounding off on a problem that he helped create. That he that he arguably was the focal point of why the Mets were so bad this year, and why they and why their dream hundred plus win season ended in a complete thud in the back end of last year. And I gotta listen to Max Scherzer now. Max Scherzer. Seriously? And then when I think, you know, the lack of self-awareness and the insanity can't get any worse, and then I sit up here and I read the asinine, asinine, you know, story uh, with James Harden and Daryl Morey. Let me get this straight. James Harden, who albeit is a very talented and a very good regular season NBA player, I got to listen and I got a stomach. James Harden getting in front of getting in front of his his fan club audience in China of all places. Get in front of his fan club of an audience saying to the world saying to them and essentially to the world that I am not going to be a Philadelphia 76er 
because Daryl Morey is not going to trade me when I initially had the idea that I was going to agree, you know, to agree to the contract that they proposed to me, thinking that they were going to do right by me and trade and, and meet my wishes and trade me. And this, and I believe me, and I get, and I didn't have, to, you know, I wasn't doing shows at the time in the, uh, in this, in a conference semis back in May when the team imploded against, against the substandard garbage we saw Boston was in the playoffs this past spring. But James Harden now, and listen, I understand and I'm in complete agreement at the fact that Daryl Morey is one of the most overrated executives in, in, in the NBA today. He essentially, I had this epiphany earlier this week. You know who Daryl Morey is? He is the Billy Bean of the NBA. One of the more overrated executives in GMs in his respective sport that, you know, that gets hyped up and gets praised and gets uh, acclimated by members of the media because he has an analytical, sabermetrical mindset and approach when it comes to putting together a roster that during the regular season has a lot of success, wins a lot of games, and even finishes with a top record in their respective conference, i.e. Billy Bean's teams, the Billy Bean's Moneyball teams in the 2000-2010s that found a way to win 90 to 100-plus games a season, winning AL West Division titles left and right. But yet when it came time, like with Morey's teams in Houston and now with his teams in Philadelphia, when the rubber met the road in postseason in in, uh, in late April and primarily in the month of May, his teams didn't get it done, whether it's against Golden State, whether it's now with Philadelphia against against the Atlanta Hawks, against the against the Boston Celtics. Uh, when reverting it back to the Oakland A's, when they got to the postseason, we would go up against the Yankees, we would go up against the Minnesota Twins, we would go up against the Detroit Tigers. When it came time for Robert to meet the road, they'd come up short every single time. When when their when their seasons were hanging the balance, when 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 their seasons were there to be had and were there to be con- discontinued or con- or continued in the month of October with Be- with Beans A's or in the month of May with Moray's Rockets and now 76ers teams, his teams come up small and disappoint and embarrass themselves every single opportunity. They get they 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 present themselves that that gets presented to themselves. So I get it. Moray is one of the most over. He's not. He 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 is no. He is not. He is not Pat Riley. He is not Jerry West. He is not uh, uh, Red Auerbach. Uh uh. Uh uh. But let's. But come on now. James Harden, seriously? When this man, now, if he's lying, if he's double talk, I get it. But James Harden now, the same James Harden that went kick that went out the door kicking and screaming with the Houston Rockets that got fat, got intentionally intentionally put himself out of shape and was hanging out at Vegas strip clubs and strip joints and partying and doing this, that, and the third left and right doing everything else but making himself a championship caliber basketball player. He ate his way out of house, home, and the entire city of Houston and the entire 
big-ass state of Texas because he didn't want to stand in, as a rocket anymore so he could get his way and party up and, and team up with Kyrie Irving and uh, Kevin Durant up in Brooklyn. He got his wish. He got the Brooklyn one nothing there. He, he he saw the writing on the wall with Kyrie Irving. You can't you can't be teammates with this guy. He won't get you anywhere. He'll create more headaches and distractions than he will provide you answers and give you wins. So I says, you know what? To hell with it. I learned a lesson that I should have learned beforehand. And he gets himself the hell out of. He pulls the same similar crap and he gets himself out of Brooklyn. Then he finds his way to Philadelphia. He teams up with Joel Embiid, and in his last ten elimination games. His last 10 elimination games, that's with the Rockets, that's with the Nets, that's with the 76ers. James Harden, did you know, is 1-9 in his last 10 elimination games with shooting 39% from the field, shooting 25% from three, averaging barely seven assists and damn near six turnovers in his last 10 elimination games. In games one and four, when he was sensational, sensational against the Boston Celtics, he averaged 43 and a half, shot 62% from the field, was 13 to 23 from three. In games six and seven, when the Philadelphia 76ers season was hanging in the balance, jobs were hanging in the balance in the likes of Doc Rivers. I understand Doc Rivers also in his own right is no coach worth a crap come playoff time either. Outside that 2008 championship, he won with with that big three super team with the Boston Celtics back in the day to beat the Lakers. But having said all that, I get Doc Rivers, again, like Morey, nothing right to hold about when it comes to his team's playoff success neither. But in games six and seven, Embiid can't do it by himself. Bad enough that he had that he had uh, Ben Simmons uh, flake out on him in the series uh, back in June of 21 against Atlanta, where again Kevin Hooter, 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 whatever his name is, scored more points than Ben Simmons, who's making money hand over fist to dribble a basketball. But anyway, I'm screaming to y'all about that. Go back into the archives if you want a a, 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 a blast from the past on that. But when his team season was hanging in the balance in game six and seven. James Harden averaged 11 points in the two games, shot 26% from three, and made one three-pointer. 11 attempts, he made one three-pointer in, in two games. He is one of the worst playoff performers of this last decade in the NBA. Your season is on the line you will take a handful of players from LeBron James to Steph Curry to Kyrie Irving to Luka Doncic to Kevin Durant to uh to uh to uh Giannis Antetokounmpo to Nikola Jokic to Jamal Murray to uh to Kawhi Leonard to uh uh to a lesser degree, Jason Tatum, to Jimmy Butler. This guy, come May, he disappears. And when he does put together nice performances, i.e. game one against Boston, he disappears in games two. Puts together a virtuoso game three. He Game, game six and seven, he's nowhere to be found. 
One game, one game, he looks like Dr. J. The next game, he looks like Ben Simmons. One game, he looks like Hakeem Olajuwon. The next day, he looks like Kwame Brown. And I got James Harden when he pulled childish, infantile fits that I would expect and have a more pain and have a bigger tolerance to tolerate out of some 12-year-olds in, in a travel league somewhere. James Harden's a grown-ass man, been in the NBA for a minute, and he carries on and he throw these little childish little hissy fits like he's 15 years old. And after he forced his way out of the city, not once, but twice, and now he does it a third time when the GM has done nothing but stuck his neck out and gone on all sorts of every single little media platform you can think of sticking his neck out and defending this guy when he's done nothing but come up small and leave himself uh, 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 ripe for the harsh criticism that he deserves because every single time you turn around and you depend on this dude and the month of May come playoff time, he comes up small and he folds. Every single freaking time. It's with three teams, two separate conferences, against a vast slew of different opponents, with different coaches, whether it's Dan Tony, whether it's Steve Nash, whether it's Doc Rivers. Enough is enough with James Harden. He, he, another one. He and Kyrie, poison. You ask him to play for your team, you're asking for playoff failure and nothing but headache, drama, and trouble. And James Harden is so selfish. He's so self-centered. He's so narcissistic. He's so self-absorbed that he doesn't see that in the process of him pulling this crap, he's ruining it for every single player that comes behind him. Because then, once the majority of the NBA player population is filled with guys from my generation, Gen Z, and then the generation soon thereafter, mine, and they'll be looking up, scratching their head, saying, how come we don't have as much freedoms in terms of player empowerment and player movement as, as, as the players that did when I was growing up as a kid and, and during my teenage years? How come we don't have the, the, the rights and the opportunities and the luxuries that those guys have? You can point at two people in particular, Kyrie Irving, but it ain't even about him right now. Because at least Kyrie Irving, you know, we can look at him and we can see his NBA championship. We can see his playoff run where he played out of his mind, put his team on his back with a superstar as his teammate, I might add, and, and deliver the goods. So he has his issues, but Kyrie Irving, if he retired tomorrow, he's got his championship. He's got his clutch moment. After after May first on the, on on the, on the NBA basketball court, where the hell is James Harden? What because he what because he had a, what some some some, some uh, buzzer beater block he had in in in, in, a, in a in a play in or or playoff game against Oklahoma against Oklahoma City in August three years ago in the bubble child please again, Moray is the Billy Bean of the NBA. But Harden's got a lot of balls. A lot of balls. He's a liar. He's this, that, and the third. And his playoff resume, just in elimination games alone, 
is, is, is offensive beyond reproach. I mean, at some point, James Harden has to look himself in the mirror and, and say, it's me. Fourth quarter against five, six, and seven back in May against Boston. He scored zero points in 32 minutes. At some point, when is it ever his fault? At some point, when is it ever his fault? Unreal, man. Un-frickin'-believable. So we get to some NFL stuff. Um, First of all, I, I think I can speak for everybody who's not a Baltimore Ravens fan. That says we could uh, care less and give a damn about the Ravens' asinine, meaningless, uh, little preseason win streak that they have going on, in which they haven't lost the game since uh, since uh, since September of 2015. I I don't know, but do you care? Does it mean anything? Do you care? Even you Ravens fans that love to have it as a nice little bragging, you know, point at the at the at, you know at the lunchroom conversation at work or at school. At the end of the day, what exactly has it won you? 2015, 16, 17, you didn't make the playoffs. Seventeen, you blew a seventeen, you blew a division lead. To to you blew you blew a you blew a or you blew a playoff spot rather, win and get in playoff spot. Eighteen got bounced in the first round by the Chargers. Two thousand nineteen got bounced in the first round by Tennessee. Twenty twenty you lost the second round, in which your offense didn't post against Buffalo. Twenty twenty one, you 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 folded, down the stretch of the season blew a division lead. 2022, you did the same thing again. Had a play, had a playoff spot on the line, and, and or not? You you made the playoffs in 2022, but you blew your division lead, and you lost in the first round. So my question is, what exactly does it mean with this win streak? Who cares? It's preseason. Stats don't count. They don't matter in the history books. Oh, a nice little win streak. Great. Where, where's your AFC Championship game appearances? Where's your Super Bowls? Wins and losses mean nothing in preseason, folks. I don't know how many times i got to tell you guys this. Nobody cares about the Ravens' little cute little preseason winning streak. It literally doesn't mean a damn thing. Doesn't. You play four, now three games in the month of August, and you find a way to, to win all of them. Congratulations. Let's put you in the Hall of Fame. I mean, come on, guys. That's, I mean, that's all I heard leading up to and in the aftermath of the Ravens' pre, preseason opener against the Eagles last Saturday. As old boy looking at the Ravens, they haven't lost the preseason game in eons. Who cares about some asinine preseason winning streak? My goodness gracious. Move on, please. Uh, Zach Ertz, J.K. Dobbins coming off of the IR from their respective teams. They were out the majority, if not all, of uh, 
last year. Ertz with the Cardinals and Dobbins with the Ravens. They are activated. Demar Hamlin to no news. Uh, it's not. It's not any new news that you haven't heard before. But congratulations and God bless him. He is now back. Uh, he is now uh, back. Uh, football activity. He's played in a preseason game already with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, so he has made his return back to the football field doing football activities in the aftermath of his cardiac arrest back in the month of January. Uh, Joe Mixon ruled not uh, guilty in his latest court, uh, in his latest uh, court appearance, in his latest court ruling. He's also been in the news recently uh, in terms of having uh, problems with the law. So uh, he's ruled not guilty. Great. I want Joe Mixon to ball out and look like the Joe Mixon that was one of the top ten running backs in all of football not too long ago that can quietly rush, rush for over 1,000 yards in his sleep and not the Joe Mixon that essentially had, had, had you know one or two good games last year and was completely inept and did not post for the 80% of the season in 2020 and uh, 2022. So, uh, mix nothing, see jail time, great. Now, go out there, practice, have a great training camp, ball your ass off, because we're going to need him to run the football for the Bengals to be a well-rounded offense this season where Joe Burrow didn't have to drop back to throw the football, you know, 35, 45, 50, 55 times a game. Because, like I've told you guys, add infinitum. Recipe for disasters when your quarterback has to basically throw every single snap of every single offensive possession. Your offense gets to become predictable, one-dimensional, and you don't keep the def- the opposition, the excuse me, the opposing defense on its toes. Uh, uh, Richardson, the uh, quarterback out of uh, the uh, quarterback out of the University of Florida, um, he is named the Colts' starting quarterback. Um, which I think is the right move. Colts are a rebuilding team. They're not going to. Uh, they're not going to win the division. You know what you already have in Gardner Minshew. I've seen Gardner. I've seen Gardner Minshew play uh, playing enough football games. It's an, uh, with Jacksonville, with uh, with Philadelphia. I've seen an. I've seen enough of. Uh, uh, Anthony Richardson. I've seen an, the starting quarterback out of uh, Florida. I've seen enough out of uh, out of uh, Garner Minshew to last a lifetime in terms of him. Uh, how about that? He's a he's a, he's to the day a week older than I am. Born May twenty second two thousand two. I'm the 29th, two thousand two. How about that? Uh, but uh, I've seen enough of Minshew with starting with, at starting QB to last a lifetime. Okay, G- give somebody else an opportunity. Give him an. He's a rookie. You draft him with a top five. You draft him. He was the fourth overall pick in the draft. If you think that you know that he's not ready yet to be an NFL starting quarterback, then what the hell did you pick him with the fourth pick of the draft yet for? So I don't understand. So they're making the right move, right decision to start him uh, right out the get gate to begin the season for Indianapolis as a right move uh, from him. We'll see what Steichen, the former offensive coordinator for, for the for the Philadelphia Eagles has uh, punched up for him. Be intriguing to see. Uh, Dalvin Cook is now a New York Jet, uh, which is very interesting to see as well. Uh, the timeline with Brees Hall, we'll see. A matter of fact, let's see if there's been any uh, recent updates with Brees Hall in recovery of his uh, of his ACL um, of his ACL injury. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Any news with Brees? 
participates in team drills and for another key step in rehab. Uh, so it looks like, you know, he's just been going through the basic running back drills, but he has not, you know, but he's not, but the Jets haven't, at least as of now, made it clear that he is going to be uh, ready for their week one matchup against Buffalo. So they get him to uh, give him some uh, insurance in the running back room, uh, which, uh, you know, I, I don't hate it. I don't, uh, I don't hate the signing. Uh, uh, Dalvin Cook, definitely one of the uh, premier pass-catching running backs in the National Football League, has had a productive career, very good career, of course. He, of course, of the uh, Minnesota, of the, uh, he, of course, the former running back of the uh, Minnesota, uh, of the Minnesota Vikings. And Jadavion Clowney, the Ravens, by the way, who are injured to hell and back, in terms of their cor- they don't have any corners. Their their corner depth or the lack thereof at the corner position. They did not re-sign Marcus Peters. Mark uh, Marlon Humphrey's going to miss some times. He's now he's got a broken foot. Uh, so if I'm a Ravens fan, man, you got Lamar back. Uh, Greg Roman's at the door, but now what are you going to do about your corners? And we have to go up against the likes of George Pickens, uh, and uh, George Pickens and. And uh, the receive and the stacked receiving court that the Bengals have, you know, and you got and now they don't have an impossible schedule this season, but in order f- you got to have some guys that can cover, and you got to have some second some guys in your secondary that can uh, you know that can that can find a way to not let a receiver you know go eight receptions for a buck fifty and three touchdowns every single week. So if I'm a Ravens fan, I'd be very concerned. I understand it's still early in training camp, so we got three weeks left. But as I look into pray right now in terms of the, the 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 quantity and quality of the wide receiver room for, or excuse me, the cornerback room and the secondary room for the Baltimore Ravens, so keep an eye out on that. Uh, and, but they all signed Jadavion Clowney to see if they can compensate and try to get some extra uh, – Extra names and extra guys uh, to uh, to bulk up their pass rush to kind of uh, offset and disguise the lack of uh, quality and quantity in the Ravens secondary. So they're basically going to play the you know uh, trying to do that damnedest to get to the quarterback to cover up the uh, weaknesses of their secondary. But how long it will last? And how long of a uh, sustainable game plan it is in terms of stopping the op- the uh, opposing offense on defense it remains to be seen. But you have that as news, of course, with any NFL. Um, uh, and that's pretty much it. Mixon is not guilty, so he won't see he won't see jail time. So everything should be uh, sugar and spice and everything nice with him as he's a Bengal uh, for the twenty three season. Richardson named QB one for the. Um, for the Indianapolis Colts, Dalvin Cook is a jet to provide them some depth uh, in the running back room, and also as a is a uh, another weapon for Aaron Rodgers to play with as he's re- trying to recruit uh, David Bakhtiari to help improve the uh, to help improve the uh, New York Jets offensive line. Ertz, Dobbins, and Hammond return from their respective uh, injuries, and in uh, Hammond's case, his uh, health ailment. And uh, Ravens preseason again. It's a nice little story, but it gets way it gets talked about way too much, and it's over talked about, and uh, and just over praised in terms of it being a a meaningful 
statistic and accomplishment when it's preseason. The games don't mean a damn thing. And uh, and the Ravens, it's not like that the preseason goes ahead. Now, can you say that it translates because the Ravens start the season out hot? I guess you could say that. But, again, what does that matter when, you know, come every November and December for the better part of the last, you know, four years or so, the Ravens have collapsed down the stretch, whether it's first-round playoff losses or in blowing division leads or playoff spots in the month of December to the likes of the Buffalo Bills, the uh, to the likes of the Buffalo Bills, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and so on and so forth. But um, that's where you stand in terms of the NFL uh, right now as we're three weeks away from week one. You know me. I'll be all over it. Be consistent uh, with the episodes, of course, on Tuesdays and on Fridays during the football season. Of course, you'll have the NFL, college football, and the baseball playoffs to get us through uh, – to get us through the fall up until uh, up until the middle of uh, November into the Thanksgiving holiday, and it shall be a fun one, folks. So hopefully you will continue to join us as we conclude, as we are coming up on, as we're in mid-August with September just around the corner and the best part of the sports calendar yet to arrive in the month of October. So we touched on a lot. A lot of baseball, uh, some NBA with the James Harden situation, with the civil war between him and Moray, and some NFL to close out the program. If you're new to the program and like what you heard, please don't hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram and threads at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast. And the show on Twitter, at Amatel underscore it, T-I is. It is your boy, Jai Shields. Have a great, safe weekend, everybody. Pray for me as I resume my uh, college uh, schooling coming up on Monday. But um, but in between all that, I'll talk to you guys next week. Y'all have a good weekend. Be safe. Be well. God bless you. See you.